With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock'em Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. It's August 18th. It is the 12th day of Missouri football practice, which means in a little less than two weeks, we will be counting down to the kickoff of your Missouri football Tigers going up against Central Michigan on what will hopefully be a beautiful Saturday. But regardless, it's going to be a football Saturday. Uh, we are just. We're cruising along, man. It's 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 felt super weird. It's felt like a long time because last season felt so weird. But like, this is the first real season in a long time. What is your excitement level right now, BK? Um, it's actually getting pretty high at this point. I I'm super excited to see what this team looks like, and mm. I view this season. It's interesting because I think I view it as being exciting for different reasons than a lot of the fans that are probably listening to us right now. I kind of view this as a development year. I know they've got Tyler Beatty. I know they've got some really good seniors on the roster that you should absolutely be excited to watch for this season and for nothing about what they're going to be in the future. But they also have a lot of guys, especially on the offensive line and certainly at quarterback with Connor Bazelak and at the receiver position in particular, that it's all about what they're going to be for 2022 and 2023. And I think 2023, the more I've looked into things, um, that's the year that I'm really targeting as being like the year when Mizzou could have a big time season. So I view this as a big time year for a lot of development and finding out exactly what Missouri has on the current roster. Um, but that's not to take away from the fact that they could also be, I think when I'm not being pessimistic, like Nate, um, a seven or an eight win football team. You and I have said it several times. I know the Rock M Slack channel has kind of tabbed 2023 as the year as well. I know you said it on a 101 ESPN the other day, 2023 is what we're working towards. And yes, I, I agree with you because we agree. <laughs> We've talked about hmm. this. It's not a bad thing to have developmental years. When you have stars like blaze Aldridge, um, like you said, Tyler Beatty, Kiki Chisholm, older guys, this is their year. This is the year they're going out on. It's not bad if they start getting surrounded by young talent, because guess what? They're, they are expected to carry this team to six or seven wins to get into a bowl game. Maybe it's not as many as they want or, or what we want, but the program is always bigger than the individual. And what Eli Drinkwitz and his staff are building is very exciting. And it's also very young. So you want to see those young guys get on the field, maybe not all the time, but certainly start getting those reps 
You want to see that youth movement, that talented youth movement start taking over either as the season goes on or as we get into next season, because yeah, barring an Oklahoma, Texas entrance that screws everything up. 2023 is going to be the breakout year for these young guys to really hit maturity and experience it and start taking over. So um, there are lots of things to watch this year. Uh, the wins, obviously one of them uh, somewhat normalcy back in stadiums that kind of up, up in the air uh, based off of your personal preference, as far as risk aversion goes. <laughs> um, but uh, certainly it's going to be better than last year, which was super weird. Glad we had it, but very, very weird. Um, we'll see how the vaccination rates on the teams go. I don't believe Anybody except for Lane Kiffin, uh, who says their their vaccination rate out loud because Lane Kiffin just said that's 100%, and you can definitely prove him wrong, so I trust him. Um, but yeah, hopefully it's it's a little bit more normalcy and it's a little bit uh, peak in the future for Mizzou football, and we see some wins, but also some uh, some developing talent. Out yeah, there. and for, for fans that might be asking themselves right now, like, why 2023? Well, if you look at the recruiting, and we'll get more into this here in just a second, that Missouri's uh, put together over the last couple of seasons, those guys are going to be juniors and potentially seniors by 2023. Uh, you look at what you have schedule-wise, South Dakota, Middle Tennessee, K-State, could be potentially tough at that mm-hmm. point. And Memphis are your non-con games. And then you look at the cross-divisional opponents, and this could change, subject to change. But as of today, you're at Arkansas, typical. And then LSU, and we'll see what LSU looks like at that point in time. Could be tough as well. Mm-hmm. But you you have some games in that season that set up nicely um, for you to be able to have a productive season. That could be the type of year where... Uh, I know there's a lot of fans that are excited about this season, maybe being a big year. I'm, I'm not quite there uh, yet, but 2023 is when things could potentially come together, similar to maybe 2014, um, where you, you're able to win nine, maybe 10 games, and it feels like a potentially special season. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you mentioned the recruiting. I kind of get the feeling this is why people are, are tuning in this week. Uh, we've got recruiting news, and it's... <laughs> The biggest chatter is not even about anybody who actually recruited because we're talking about Luther Burden. Luther Burden, the number one wide receiver in the country, the former number one player in the state. I think he's number one player in in Illinois now that he plays for East St. Louis. The number seven, seven, six or seventh ranked player in the country based off of your recruiting service of of preference. Uh, Kid's a big damn deal. Five-star wide receiver, plays for East St. Louis, he had been committed to Oklahoma since last October, which was his junior year. And it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma is an offensive machine. They they pull in all sorts of offensive talent from all over the place. They put him in. They put up a bunch of points. They get in the playoff, get smacked around, whatever. That's, that's where you go if you want to play offense. One of a handful of places that you do. So we all kind of saw, okay, he's with Oklahoma, and we kind of move move on, right? Look for other Look for other receivers we can get. And we got two of them. We got Jamarian Wayne uh, and Mikai Miller, and they're they're excellent. However, Luther Burden found his way to Night at the Zoo a couple months ago, back in June. And then a couple days later, he returned to campus. And then a couple of weeks later, he came back. And then last week, I think he came back and did a photo shoot in the Mizzou gear. And yesterday, mm-hmm. he made it official. He decommitted from the University of Oklahoma. He's back on the market. I mean... As much as you were ever off the market, if you ever commit, you never really are. But uh, officially official, he is back on the market. He is not committed to any school. And so now, as Missouri fans, we're, we're allowing ourselves to fall back into that, that dream scenario where not only does Drinkwitz bring in this these four-star guys that we, we never even thought about before, but also reels in the number one receiver, local kid, keeps him home, mostly home, uh, to play for Missouri and just increases expectations tenfold because now we have another excellent weapon at wide receiver. Um, BK, I'm excited. You're excited. We're all excited. Can, can you put more words to it than that? Can you kind of exp- walk me through your thought process on this? So, I mean, obviously, unbelievably excited. Everything seems to be suggesting Luther Burden's going to be a Missouri Tiger. Now, that doesn't mean things can't change. There's still, what is it, three months, I guess, three and a half months now before National Signing Day. So things can change between now and then. 
However, all of the momentum is Mizzou's way. There were reports yesterday that suggested this is a two-team race between Missouri and Georgia, and it seems like it's basically Mizzou. So there's plenty of reasons to be excited about this. Man, this is a huge, huge, huge deal. Mizzou just doesn't land players like Luther Burden. Whether they're in-state, out-of-state, uh, a million miles away, two miles away, it doesn't matter. The only five stars in Rivals history that Missouri has landed a commitment from are Doriel Green-Beckham, Sheldon Richardson, and Blaine Gabbert. The only guys that actually ended up making it on campus as high school players, uh, as five-star recruits for Mizzou, are Doriel Green-Beckham and Blaine Gabbert. Luther Burden would be the third man to add his name to that list. That is a remarkable potential achievement, if it happens, from Eli Drinkwood. So I, I want to first start by just saying, like, I know everybody's very excited about it, and they should be. I hope we understand just how significant of an addition this would potentially be. It would be... <laughs> yes, we talk about increasing the program prestige, lifting the recruiting profile, these are the type of wins that you have to get. Missouri has beaten Alabama for Anus Rakestraw, for Ryan Horstcamp. They've beaten Texas a couple of times. They've beaten other SEC outfits a couple of times. And that's been excellent. This, this is another one of those things, though. This is, this is a high-profile, one of the top 10 players in the country coming to Mizzou, possibly coming to Mizzou. If you do that... If you can do that. Now, Gary Pinkle did it three times. He just went over it yourself. But if Eli Drinkwitz can do that in his, let's call it his his uh, his third full, well, second full recruiting class, third overall, you know, all of a sudden everything's on the table, right? Every, every recruiting battle that they get into, you're like, all right, we got a shot. We got a shot. And other players are going to see that too. Other high school players are going to see that too. Recruiting doesn't happen in a vacuum. Okay. Obviously the visits are all personal, whether it's home or on campus, but other players are going to go, huh? Five star went to Mizzou. Huh? Seven, four stars. A couple guys I know went to Mizzou. Huh? Why? And we're not just talking about the local St. Louis kids. These kids are from Georgia. Sam Horn. These kids are from Texas. DeForest Jones. These guys are from Nebraska. Deshaun Woods. Kai Montgomery. Darnell, uh, uh, Dalen Carnell, Indianapolis. This isn't just the local flavor winning over high athleticism kind of kids. This is an actual recruiting pitch, actual recruiting effort, going a little bit outside your footprint and bringing kids in. And oh yeah, we can also get the local kids too. Now you're creating buzz around your program. Now you got to hold on to the kids. You got to play the kids and develop them. But this is how you get your brand noticed. This is how you get out there. And timely fun tweets talking about things that you can't really talk hmm. about as a coach, but sort of insinuating like that's also part of it. <laughs> that's part of the game. Eli Drinkwitz knows how to play the recruiting game. He knows how to recruit like an sec coach. Previous Mizzou coaches did not know how to do that. He does. And we can actually see the difference. The other thing is look at the positions. And we've talked about this before of where Missouri's landing this elite talent, right? It's all about finding the guys that impact the passing game. And what you're seeing right now is Missouri's finding those guys. Uh, look at the quarterback position. They've now landed in back-to-back -back years four-star prospects there. Tyler Macon and now uh, Sam Horn. At receiver, you've got Mookie Cooper, who they landed in the transfer portal, but he's a blue-chip talent. Dominic Lovett, and then potentially Luther Burden as well. Defensive end, Montgomery, Ford, Walker was like right on the cusp of being a blue chip talent last year. And then at corner, you had a couple of legit stud corner transfers that you brought in with Allie Green and a Caleb Evans. And then if you look at what you've added in uh, recruiting so far, Ennis Rakestraw wasn't technically recruited as such as a in terms of the star talent, but when Alabama is interested in you, like you're a blue chip talent. So Enos Rakestraw, Marcus Scott's a four star. And then last year they got Dalen Carnell as well. That is a ton of talent at positions that impact the passing game. So it's not just that they're landing stud talent. It's where they are landing them. It's the positions that are the most important on the field. The last thing they need to do if they could add a couple of offensive tackles, whether in this class or just in the future that are up there, I know they've got Deshaun Woods in this one, but if you can add more talent to that position group, 
now you're starting to really cook with some gas, man. It's it's special to watch. This is really, really exciting. This is how Clemson did it. Mm-hmm. Exactly what we're talking about. Quarterbacks, receivers, Russians, defensive backs. They don't screw with, you know, offensive linemen or linebackers or running backs. They, they'll get those guys, right? Like, if, if they feel like it's when you're fit. good enough, you'll eventually get there. Exactly. But the, the starting point, the building blocks, like if you're an NFL football team, who are you taking number one overall? It's these positions. Mm-hmm. So you get the, the players who impact the passing game. Those guys overwhelmingly get drafted high. You create buzz around your program and then let all the other blue chips start looking at that and start coming to your doorstep. Absolutely. This is what Clemson did. It, it took some time, right? It took six years. Really, probably seven years uh, for it to really get rolling, but they had the patience with Dabo, and he had the vision, and he and he executed, it and they succeeded. He also kept his staff around for a long time and compensated them very well. That's also part of it, um, but that's that's how you do it uh, if you're, from a recruiting standpoint. So Missouri is definitely very much on the way there. Um, let me do my thing. Let me be negative Nate here for a second. Hmm. Um, Luther Burden's not on campus yet <laughs> and he's not, maybe he commits, makes it official tomorrow. I don't know. I wrote that piece like the day of and like literally 48 minutes later, he's he decommitted. So like, he, we don't really know what he's going to do. Like he, he's kind of all over the place. Um, but regardless, this is going to be a fight that goes probably all the way to February. Maybe, you know, he commits to Mizzou and we get lucky and he signs in December. I don't know. But, like, he is such a an otherworldly talent. Uh, I mentioned in the piece, his offer list is everybody. Um, he's got visits lined up to every SEC program damn near uh, this fall. He is going to go to Alabama. Okay, he's got an official that he's going to go there. Um, he He's already done a couple of visits with Georgia. Georgia guys already think he's a lock. I've seen a couple of future predictions go Georgia's way. Um, this is this is not a foregone conclusion. So, yes, he's on the market. Yes, Missouri's probably in a pretty good position, but we don't have him yet. Right? He's not on campus yet. He hasn't signed the dotted line yet. So it is important for Missouri to continue to recruit him. It's important for us to you know stay positive about this. It's also important for Missouri to win football games. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um I've seen a lot of d- discourse about NIL in particular and how, well, if he goes to Georgia, he's one of, let's say, 12 five stars. I'm just making up a number here. He's one of 12 five stars. So really, how much NIL money can he make? He's one of many, whereas in Missouri, he could be one of few. Okay, yeah. Um, we don't know that we, we don't know how any of this works. Like we haven't, we've seen some creative endorsements because it's the first year, but we don't, he doesn't know what his marketability is quite yet. The coaches are going to talk about that. They're going to pitch him on these sorts of things. I'm sure there is probably a, a, a dollar amount that's getting thrown around because that's legal now, um, of, of the figures that you can make five figures, six figures. If you come here and here's the, here's the endorsements that we can do, blah, blah, blah. Like that is, that's going to be part of it, but we're not privy to, to those discussions. We don't know how many people in Missouri are willing to pony up money versus how many people in Georgia are willing to write some checks too. So like, we, we can we can we can think about this as much as you want, but nothing's going to be a slam dunk. And if and if you want to go if you want to go full Mizzou fan, BK, if you want to go full Mizzou fan, how successful have we been with our five stars? All right, Tony Van Zant. If you want to go all the way back there, no, 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 we're not doing this today. Blaine Gabbert, no, no, no. <laughs> two years. Sheldon no. Richardson, two years. Doyle Green Beckham, two years. Like you could go full Mizzou fan on this and say, well, it's not going to work out anyway. But that's not the point. The point yeah. is, this is the new zoo, okay? It's a different type of recruiting. It's a different type of staff. This is a different type of kid too, okay? There's more that's going into it, and there's more fight that we have to do because we're fighting blue bloods, but Eli Drinkwitz has shown he can stick in these fights. He can win these fights, and yes, it's going to take a long time, and yes, he's not here yet, but if you're going to trust any coaching staff of the past 20, 30 years at Mizzou, this is the one that you can say, yeah, they can go out and get them. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to come out a little more optimistic on this. And I, I think, 
Uh, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about Desiree Reed Francois. We can go ahead and bring her into the conversation now. I think this is why Desiree Reed Francois was hired. Like stuff like this. Um, the the NIL name, image, and likeness money is probably going to be a factor in this recruitment because I think it's going to be a factor moving forward in basically every five stars recruitment. Now, it it could be like anybody, right? There are some five stars that care immensely about the location. There are some that just want to play early. There are others that um, all they care about is play, what you're going to be able to do and what you've done in the past to get their position group to the NFL. Like everybody has different priorities. I don't know what the priorities are for Luther Burden, but I would imagine he's probably interested in finding out how much money he can make at the next level. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us probably would be to some degree, right? So I would imagine there is something that has been presented to him by Mizzou, by Alabama, by Georgia, by whomever. And I do not think that the tweet yesterday or the other day, I guess, at this point from Eli Drinkwitz, I'm. I will read into it. I don't think that was by accident that he posted a tweet of him talking about the Columbia Mercedes-Benz um, dealership. Like, my guess is a Columbia Mercedes-Benz dealership would be interested in talking to Luther Burden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I, I am going to read in there. That does not mean that it is for sure the case, but that is my read on the situation. Um, and I think you're going to see Desiree Reed Francois, a significant part of her job at Mizzou will be what can you do to ignite these, whether it's Mizzou alumni or boosters or the businesses within the community, both in Columbia and in the surrounding area and Boone County as a whole? What can you, you do to energize these people to spend their money not only on the program, but now directly to the players? And that's specifically for football, but I'm sure it will go to all sports uh, as a whole. I think that's going to be a big part of her job, and I think it's going to be a big factor, I would have to imagine, in the recruitment of any five-star, but specifically for Mizzou, the one five-star they're in on with Luther Burton. And it even goes down to four and three stars, too. Like, let's not count them out. They they probably want some money, too. It's probably not going to be as much um, as a five-star is going to be interested in, nor nor are people going to want to part with as much cash for, or for a three- or four-star guy. Um but yes, this is part of it. I know that that Sam and Matt have a lot of lofty goals for 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 Desiree as far as the basketball program goes, and obviously the baseball and softball programs programs and women's basketball and volleyball. They all have things that they want from her too. But but from a football standpoint, you're you absolutely nailed it. Like this, getting money, organizing money that that's the job. All right, football is your most profitable sport. Sometimes your only profitable sport. Um, and it's the one that you got to be good at to get anything else going. And so, you know, Reed Francois walks into a situation where we are in a new era of how to recruit. And her job is to show, you know, cash packaging. What are we going to get? What are the assets we can offer this guy? We've got, maybe it is Mercedes Benz of Columbia. Maybe it's uh cliques rent to own. <laughs> right. I don't know if they're still in business or not, uh, but, you know, like local businesses getting behind and saying, yes, we will support. We will donate X amount of money for the pot to get this kid on campus. That's that's what recruiting is now. And that is 100 percent on the A.D. You know, Nick Saban's best, best asset is people management and wrangling mm -hmm. money out of people who have a lot of money. His second best asset, which ties into that, is recruiting. And then somewhere down the line, he's also a hell of a defensive coordinator. But <laughs> he happens to be the greatest like organizational person in the history of college football. So there's that as well. Logistically, he's just he's a monster. He's just a one of a kind. But Eli Drinkwitz seems to be on the right path as far as wrangling money. He he is active in the community. He is active with the influencers. Let's call them that of of the University of Missouri. He is he's embracing his community. He's getting active in it. He is promoting local like you wouldn't believe. I can't tell you how many times of those off-season videos where he rattled off some kind of a number of businesses that he loved to, to frequent, a bunch of restaurants he liked to go to. Like he he gets it. He knows how to promote both himself and where he's at. What really helps is to have an athletic director who can do that too, right? Like you, where you don't have to worry about promoting yourself. You can focus on the football, also promoting your, your product, but mostly focusing on the football. Having an athletic director who can do that 
uh, to pair with with an energetic promoter like Eli Drinkwitz. That, that's that's what you're looking for to to get these sorts of recruits in there to have the money base available to literally offer cash uh, to these players to come play here and legally legally because it is legal now. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like did you read any of the replies to that Drinkwitz Mercedes tweet? Yeah, people are people are silly, man. They I I don't think. And maybe Mizzou fans don't either. And I I get it. This is very new and it's new to all of us and it's confusing. But what Drinkwitz is doing, like if if it is true, let's go down this hypothetical scenario, right? If it's Mercedes Benz of Columbia, if they are planning to pay $50,000 to Luther Burden to be a spokesperson for their dealership. That is completely legal now. Mm-hmm. That, that is 100% legal. It is well within their reason. They could pay 100 whatever they wanted to do, whatever amount of money that they want to pay him to be a spokesperson for their company, they are now legally allowed to do so. So in Missouri. If that's what he like. C- can't speak for any of the other if, states, but in Missouri, it is legal. If that's what Eli Drinkwitz was kind of hinting at there, and that is something that he's probably talked about, I would imagine, with Luther Burden, then that's just smart recruiting. And by the way, to your point on the the relationship that's going to take place between Drinkwitz and Reed Francois, I'm totally with you on all of that. And the other thing is, like, in the past, we've always said, if you have a great football coach, your job as an athletic director is to make sure that coach has whatever he needs. And most of the time in the past, that was basically saying, hey, make sure they've got great facilities. That, that that's what you're referencing when you say that and make sure there's always a crane in the air, right? That was always the Gary Pinkle thing. Once they joined the SEC, you've always got to have a crane. You got to be build, building at all times. Well, now it's not just that that's still going to be the case, but now it's also, you better have a lot of companies lined up at all times. If ever they are needed in any of these recruiting battles. So now when we say, Desiree Reed Francois, her priority number one at Mizzou is going to be keeping Eli Drinkwitz happy and getting him whatever it is that he needs. This is going to be probably the top or at least near the top of that priority list for Drinkwist. Absolutely. Because when it when a coach when a coach is at a job and he's doing well, like if he's doing well enough that other schools are calling and saying, Hey, we'd love you for you to take over our program. When that happens, He's going to do a very quick self-reflection, and he's probably done it this entire time. And he's going to look at his current situation. First question he's going to ask is, am I compensated enough? I think Drink is guaranteed $20 million over seven years, I think. Um, it's, it's good. Let me put it that way. He is compensated well. Then he's going to ask, do I have everything I need to succeed? Got the south end zone. He's got the practice facility. Again, as long as the sponsorships are there, with the money coming in, and he's got the, a money base to recruit at an SEC level? Yes. The third thing is fan support. <laughs> all right, And maybe that's important to some, and maybe it's not important to all, but if he is doing all of this and then the fans are there, he's going to say, no, look, look this, this is where I want to be. I have everything I could possibly want. I've got a good paycheck. I've got a good staff. They're compensated well. I've got the resources to succeed, and i got a fan base that loves me. Like, that's it. And so Desiree's job is to provide that. And I mean, I don't know how she's going to do. I for so many reports that, you know, just, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're at Missouri now. Show me what you're going to do. Show yeah. me what you're going to do. And we'll figure out if it's going to work or not. But that's, that's her goal. And I know that basketball needs stuff. Baseball needs stuff. I know all the sports need stuff. But if you want the money to do that stuff, you need your football team to be good. And so far, you know, Drinkwitz has had that support, certainly with Sterk. Again, crouch the old poop. I said it last time, I'll say it again. Desiree Reed Francois is new young blood. She's 49. She's energetic. She's different. Right? She's got the 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 recruiting or the the raising money chops, the recruiting portion of AD, the AD job, she's got it. So now it's just do the work. And if everybody does their job, right, we'll see the recruits continue to flow. The recruiting profile continue to rise. Athleticism continue to rise. And we'll be a, we'll be a full ass SEC team. BK, we'll get there. Um, but it just takes some time. That's all. It does. Um, and 
to kind of wrap this up with where we started, the, the thing that I mentioned at the beginning in terms of the blue chips that Missouri is is acquiring right now. Last year, they had the number 20 class in the country. Right now, they're rated number 25. From what I saw, if they ended up landing uh, Luther Bird in, like, in the immediate future, I think that would bump into like right around the number 20 range. They would be guaranteed um, 20th, probably. At a very there you minimum. go. So you're you're looking at at that point 12 four stars over the last two seasons. This would be the seventh well four or five stars be the seventh blue chip player in this class. They had five last year going back before then. I'm going to go through this list real quick uh, for you, Nate, because I I went through and I was curious how that compares with previous years. 2020 zero 2019. You had one 2018. You had two. These are blue chip talents. 2017, one. 2016, three. 2015, you did have five. 2014, you had two. 2013, two. 2012, you had uh, one four-star and one five-star, so two blue chips again. 2011, zero. So never at any point in that stretch did you had one season with five, and other than that, it was two or three at a maximum every year. 2010, you had seven. That was the big-time recruiting class. 2009 you had two 2008 you had three so there's like one-off years 2015 and 2010 where you had a decent number of blue uh, blue chip talents but even if you combined those two years which were the best years for mizzou in terms of blue chip talents that would do nothing more than equate to what eli drinkwitz has done in consecutive seasons as missouri's head coach Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable, man. When we say this is unprecedented levels of recruiting, it's not just because of like some of the stars that he's getting. It's the consistency with which he's adding those stars. And that doesn't even take into account Mookie Cooper, who is also technically a blue chip talent in his own right. If you add him in, it's 13 blue chip talents that he's added in the last two recruiting classes, technically, which would be exceeding any two year stretch really ever that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And if you can get them on campus and keep them on campus, that's even better. <laughs> you go back to some of those people. Chase Abington never played it down. Mm-hmm. Andy Bauer never played it down. Nate Brown, basically a non-factor. Uh, Marquise, Marquise Doherty, Doherty, baseball player. Yeah. All right. AJ Harris, meta uh, injury retirement. Nate Strong, Greg. Uh, yeah, Nate Strong did never saw it made it on campus. Uh, Dron Davis never made it on campus. Uh, Chad Bailey, DPJ, they're still here. Jelani Williams is still here. Uh, and then we're back to modern day. So you got to get these guys and keep them. Uh, and, you know, if, if you don't, there's always going to be some attrition. So you need to recruit a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and that's certainly not to discount the two and three star kids, right? It's just part of the, you know, makes it easier for a football team. If your two and three star guys develop um, in a, in a, at a pace that's comfortable and that they're surrounded by other guys who are really, really good from day one. Like that's, that's the best way to do it. So, um, yeah, we're, I, I am so excited about what Missouri recruiting can be going forward, especially with Luther Burden apparently being in play. I will say if we don't get them on campus, it's not the end of the world. It's really not, you know, receivers, you got three or four on the field at a time. Um, they don't always touch the ball. So, it's okay if you don't get him. He's not like some, you know, the, the best quarterback of all time or anything like that that always touches the ball every single play. Mm-hmm. Um, but it 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 does mean a lot. It's a, it, psychologically for Missouri fans, for the program, you know, for for future recruiting, it does mean a lot. It's not the end of, of the world if we don't get him, but we're in a special place right now where one of the top receiver in the country decommits from Oklahoma because he's interested in what Missouri's pitching. I that's. I don't even have words. It's just, it's again, it's unprecedented. It's the word we have, we have knocked into the ground at this point It's unprecedented times. And it's just very exciting. By the way, uh, while we're on the recruiting, you want to get hit Xavier Simmons real quick before yeah, we gosh. finish off on some of the notes, <laughs> the actual recruiting editions uh, <laughs> that we've had. Yes. Um, so Xavier Simmons um, was a former Virginia tech commit for a long time. Actually, he's out of Greensboro, North Carolina. He's a 6'3", 215 linebacker, kind of a tweener kid. Uh, but he had been committed to the Hokies for quite some time. And on the 14th, he flipped. He flipped from Virginia Tech to Missouri. Um, he is the 43rd best linebacker in the country, and he's the 16th best player in the state of North Carolina, a burgeoning pipeline. 
Uh, and apparently he's a hell of a thumper. Uh, BK, you did a lot of, uh, you did some film study on him. What are your, what are your thoughts about the flip and uh, the player that we're getting here? This boy fast. My goodness, is Xavier Simmons fast. Um, he played running back receiver. He played outside linebacker at his high school. Um, he is not a fully formed linebacker at this point in his career, but he is a star athlete right now. Um, on 24-7 sports, he's actually technically listed as an athlete, and that makes sense to me. Think of it this way. like If you haven't watched him play at all yet, think Devin Nicholson's body but with a Therese Hall style of game. So he wants to come up and hit you, but he's long and lanky and runs really fast. So it's a really interesting player to watch on film, and I have no idea how his game's going to translate to the next level. No idea whatsoever. He is more athlete than football player right now. I'll say it that way. However, he is super intriguing as a talent, and this is the kind of guy that I would love to see them get more of uh, into the room, because if he hits, I mean, this is a, it, the thing that really impressed me, he's a pretty darn impressive pass rusher already, blitzer, pass rusher, so they can use him in multiple different ways. I thought he was a lot of fun to watch on film. Again, not a fully formed linebacker by any stretch, nor would you expect him to be at 17 years old. But he has the type of profile that makes me intrigued as a linebacker in the modern game. I mean, we, we talked about it again. Everything revolves around the passing game. You are better off having a linebacker who is fast or has you know, at least a little bit of coverage ability uh, so they can play the passing routes. That's actually one of the... Sneaky things Nick Bolton was good at. I wrote about it uh, earlier this week when we talked about the linebacker Q&A. Nick Bolton was really good at filling the passing lane. It didn't always equate to like breaking up passes or interceptions. Sometimes he just took the read away, but that's just as important. And and so to have an outside linebacker like that who can who can rush the passer and then also you know clog the passing lanes, that's what an incredible asset that is. You don't know what it what he's going to do on any given play, and he can do anything. Like yep. hell, yes, sign me up. Um, I know you know the the, the run stuff and thumper linebackers that that the state of Missouri likes to produce. Um, they, they're fine. They're they're useful. I just feel like more and more they get turned into defensive linemen, <laughs> and then like safeties, uh, high school safeties get turned into linebackers. So if you have a guy who's already familiar with the position and is fast enough and familiar enough to to do that sort of thing. Yeah, three star, four star, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Like, get get me on board with that because if he's got the athleticism to do uh, to affect the passing game as a linebacker, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, he, he like I said, he's a lot of fun to watch. I've got a full story on it with some clips up at RockMNation.com, the flagship site. The other thing that I was uh, curious to get your thoughts on, Nate, because I know you're you're a big like pipeline guy in terms mm -hmm. of where these players are coming from. He heralds out of the great state of North Carolina, as mm -hmm. you mentioned. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz, no surprise here. He had his only year as a head coach at <laughs> in the great state of North Carolina mm -hmm. at Appalachian State. He also was an offensive coordinator at NC State. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, though, he does not have very many coaches on his staff that came with him from Appalachian State. DJ Smith, the mm -hmm. Mizzou linebackers coach, is one of just three holder holdovers. And that includes the director of like, football operations and their special teams coordinator. Yeah. So it's basically just Eli Drinkwitz and DJ Smith when it comes to the coaches on the staff that are out there recruiting actively. Um, and I don't think it's a surprise that Mizzou now has received a commitment from a linebacker out of the state of North Carolina in each of the last two classes. Mm -hmm. Damian Wilson last year, Xavier Simmons. Now this season, Mizzou had basically no presence inside of that state prior to Eli Drinkwitz. Of course, they had Larry Roundtree. Um, they also added Gerald Nathan Jr., who has since transferred um, in the 20 years prior to Drinkwitz, but that was basically it. Um, so I found it very interesting that Mizzou now has a presence in a state that they never had a presence in before uh, because re relationships matter, and that's that's the way Carolina, that recruiting works. The Carolinas produced some great football talent. I know Clemson gets most of the South Carolina kids. South Carolina gets the leftovers. Uh, but like UNC, Duke, App State, um, you know, a little bit of Virginia, obviously South Carolina and Clemson too. Like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of jockeying in that in those two states, but like there's a lot of talent there. Um 
is it is it Florida? Is it Georgia? Is it Texas? No, not really. But there's a lot. It's pretty population population dense, and then when you have a lot of people there, you can usually find some pretty good athletes. So I don't know what that recruiting footprint is going to look like in the next 10, 15, 20 years, whatever. Um, but hey, I'm I'm all about it. If we're if we're kind of going off the beaten path a little bit. Um, Missouri has typically, uh, thrived by finding kind of overlooked guys in heavily populated football, talented areas, and then supplementing that with uh, local talent from, from Missouri. Um, we did it with Indianapolis. We're doing it with, with the Carolinas. Heck yeah. I'm think outside the box. It's use your relationships. All, all about alone, finding talent where you have relationships and Missouri's coaching staff, or at least this particular part of it has relationships inside of the state of North Carolina. So you might as well, it's going to sound bad when I say it, but exploit those, uh, utilize them, I guess is another way to put it, uh, and use them to the best of your advantage to bring that talent to uh, to Mizzou. So in this particular case, they got a super athletic and talent at the linebacker position who plays the game really hard, plays it very fast, and it's it's probably going to take a minute for him to be able to translate to the next level. I don't think he's going to be a guy that contributes right away, but he's somebody that can come in and help them eventually. Sure. And he, like you said, has a, a super versatile skill set. So he'll, he'll be able to help in a number of yeah. different um, different ways. So that's all the good news. We front loaded this episode with the good news. Let's get into some negative stuff uh, right in my wheelhouse. Let's just roll in the dirt, baby. Uh, lost a couple players. Uh, the first one was uh, was Karen Wilkins. So August sixth, I think he uh, he decided to transfer. I don't think he has found a new home quite yet. But um, Cameron was a third or fourth year player, I forget. Um, but it seemed like he really wasn't going to be seeing the field. And frankly, if I were a three star out of state linebacker in my fourth year with the program, and I can't get out of Special teams duty, I'd probably look somewhere else too. So I certainly don't blame him for that. It is a hit to the linebacker depth. I know that uh, Drinkwitz is working on building that up, um, but as you know, as of right now, you know, as of again August eighteenth, there's only seven linebackers on the roster now. We run a four-two-five. The five is you know three corners and two safeties. So like you don't need a lot of linebackers, but you do need some. Um, and so if you're thinking, okay, you got a three deep on each, then that's basically all you got. You got one holdover. Um, so that's, that's not great from a depth standpoint at the same time, kind of sounds like blaze Aldridge has got one starting yep. spot locked down. Devin Nicholson was a starter last year. Sounds like he's probably gonna be starting this year. Uh, and you've heard good things from Damian Wilson so far, uh, Chad Bailey, Jamie Petway, Zach Lovett, Will Norris, like you've got some options here. And it sounds like the options were probably, a little bit more athletic, had a little bit more promise than what Cam was 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 bringing to the table. So he's gone. We wish him luck. Anything else, PK? Not really other than this question as a follow-up. Okay, so we assume that it's Blaze Aldridge and Devin Nicholson as your starters. I think everybody's on that page. I think probably Chad Bailey would be the number three guy in that mm-hmm. group. Who do you think is number four right now? I think that that is where my real question is. And hopefully we don't have to find out. Hopefully everybody stays healthy (laughs) and we never have to learn who the number four player is in that rotation, unless it's like a, a a mega blowout in the first game of the season. And then maybe we find out. But if you had to guess right now, who do you think is that number four player in the linebacker um, rotation? I mean, I don't know if you, if you, if we're just going off of what we've seen during live games, I'd say Jamie Petway who's had a couple of really, really big tackles on special teams last year. Uh, but based off of the the reports coming out of camp, might be Damian Wilson. The dude's been pretty active as mm-hmm. picking off passes and and and, and vocalizing. <laughs> Got him being a menace, a freshman menace uh, to the second or third string offense that he's playing against. So I don't know what that means, but if I'd have to guess as the fourth guy – Probably Wilson, but I'd say either Petway or Wilson. What do you think? I think I'd go Wilson as well. And the only reason why I say that is just because of the upside. And maybe this is me speaking with my heart instead of my uh, my head. But I think Wilson has the chance to be a pretty good linebacker. He was the type of guy that when you watched him on film in high school, he was the opposite of what I just mentioned about Xavier Simmons. He was more linebacker than athlete. 
at the high school level. So I, I think he would make a lot of sense to come in and contribute right away at that spot. Yeah. And hey, maybe, I don't know. I, I read way too much into this. So BK, you can just say I'm an idiot, <laughs> plug your ears and, and move on. But don't, don't forget to look at the numbers these guys wear. Okay. Devin Nicholson was 58 and then he became a starter and he turned into 11. Okay. Damian Wilson, freshman, first day on the field, gets number 10. Is that, am I reading into much into it? Yes, listener, I am. But at the same time, you don't give the lower numbers to just any freshman or any, you know, any kid just walking onto the team. Those numbers are typically earned uh, because they're, they're more coveted by the players. Um, and, and you've earned it because you're going to be seeing the field a lot. So I don't know, man. I, by the way, can I complain about a number real quick? Uh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. BJ Harris and Taj Butts. We got to get something other than 14 and 17 for our running backs, man. Come on. (laughs) Literally anything other than a number in the teens for running backs. They're going to look like quarterbacks out there at the running back position. That's ridiculous. I, I'm not really much of a stickler for numbers. Like I think Mizzou's kind of made a name for itself for having weird numbers. Think Alden Smith defensive in 85, mm-hmm. right? But he always kind of had weird ones, you know, gosh, you know, Gerald Jackson wore 29 as a receiver, Bud Sasser wore 21. Like I, there are some weird numbers that work teens on offense is quarterback and receiver. That's don't, don't be throwing that on, on a running back. It, it's, it's a too tall of a number for a running back. It, can one like of them it. switch Boo Smith? Boo Smith's got 31. Like, can, can we get, can we get 31 for a receiver <laughs> or a running back? Rather? Can we just switch those two, please? I think that's worth a shot. I like 31. That's a clean number. Yeah. That's a it's fast per- number. It's perfectly fine for a running back. It's acceptable. Yeah. yeah. God. You do run into a little bit of an issue. Cause like, 25 is always going to be spoken for mm-hmm. and Missouri has retired an obscene amount of numbers for being a mediocre historically program. Um, so like you are a little bit limited to what you can do, but yeah, there's gotta be plenty of thirties out there that we can, we can mess around with. I don't I, like the teens. I would hope so. I don't like that. I'm with you, but Hey, remember Henry Josie and Marcus Murphy were 41 and 43 their freshman year. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, and they ended up being all right. Yeah. 20 and six. And then also some of the best running backs we've ever had. I, I remember I joked, and just being very good. I, I joked one time uh, when I saw a picture of Henry Josie and, and, and Marcus Murphy wearing those numbers. I was like, wait, they, they just gave him his, their 40 times, right? Like that's why they're wearing those numbers. Huh. That's not actually, oh, they're not actually 43 and 40. Oh my God. That was so bad. But hey, it worked out. It worked out in the end, so who knows? But yeah, Boo Smith, hit a boy up. You can be 14. You can be 14 and give away 31. I'm like that. I like that a lot. All right, so Cam, best of luck. Good luck, man. Hope you land somewhere that you that you can get some playing time. Here's the here's the one that sucks a lot. Jamarian Gooch. Um, so if, if you are unaware of kind of the freshman onboarding process, um, at least for college football, typically what happens is, you know, they recruit you and they, you know, they ask for some medical, just upfront questions, make sure you're okay, but you can't really ask for anything upfront with, you know, without violating somebody's rights. When you get onto campus, you need to take a physical to make sure that you can compete in the NCAA and the SEC for, uh, for, for Missouri, all that sort of stuff. Jamarian Gooch was a medical disqualification. And the way Drinkwitz said it, was that he would not be playing football for the University of Missouri. So to me, it sounds like there is a number of things that the university looks for. And if you have that, you can't play. Um, It's not fair to speculate on a young man's health. I will just say out loud that we've had players die before. And I'm kind of wondering if that's something that the staff looks for, and he might've had it. This isn't like, Oh, you had a bone spur 
or, oh, you know, you actually have a fracture that we got to fix. Like, no, typically these kind of disqualifications is like, there's something seriously medically wrong with you that you need to get fixed. There's a difference between medical retirement and medical disqualification. Um, right. They, right. They will tell you when somebody medically retires. It's happened multiple times. Even mm-hmm. this year, I think there's been one Logan for Mizzou, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they will announce that when that takes place. This was not that. This was a medical disqualification. He was not eligible to play because of a medical issue, which, like you said, is totally different. It's 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 scary, you know, especially for for a guy that size. You know, you can you can come up with so many things, but you really you're just hoping that the that Jermaine Gooch is, is OK. Yeah. And that he can get the, the medical help that he needs to, to make it. Obviously he's a big guy, but um Drinkwitz did say that he would he would be redshirted this year and then just not part of the team. I'm not sure how the rules work as far as scholarship goes. Obviously he will be on scholarship this year, so he's gonna have access to uh medical care through the university, which is great. Um, but it's kind of scary to hear someone be medically disqualified because that's a very serious issue. Uh, so he will not be playing for Mizzou. Um, we talked about the possibility of him being out of the offensive line and how great that would be. Um, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen here, folks. Maybe it'll happen somewhere else. But really, at this point, you're pulling for him to get healthy, uh, be able to get the the medical attention he can so that he can live a happy, full life, uh, in this case, without football. Yeah, and it this is the type of thing that you have the medical staff for. This is why they do the, um, the intake physicals and you're happy to see that they caught it. Um, it stinks on a, on a purely football perspective. This was a kid that was one hell of a talent and he was a late addition to Mizzou's, uh, recruiting class. So there wasn't a whole lot of hype surrounding him, but man, the, t- the talent was, was right up there in terms of what you were hoping to be able to get out of him. He's a top 50 player at his position, depending on where you looked. Like he was potentially going to be a stud player for him. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not going to go that route. So hopefully everything goes well for him moving forward. And you wish him nothing but the best, of course. And then just let's just keep trucking into the medical field here, because hmm. on Monday we got an uh, injury update. Our first injury update of the summer slash fall. You're never going to fully make it through fall camp without someone get hurt. And in this case, we did see some guys get hurt. And unfortunately, it's kind of some some fan favorites here. Jay Macklin, or I guess Jay Mori Macklin. I forget how he wants to go by now. But um, yeah, Macklin the Younger is uh, broke his forearm, which sounds incredibly painful. And originally, um, they reported it as an orbital bone. And I was like, well, that sounds like a fight. I'm not sure yeah. how else. <laughs> I'm not sure how you break your orbit orbital bone in your face. Uh, yeah. without taking your helmet off. So uh, that that seems not great. So I'm glad they clarified, hey, it's a forearm that he broke um, yeah. because it sounded like some extracurriculars going on. And that, that's never great to hear. I, too, was a little curious as to how that <laughs> happened. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a forearm. You need forearms to catch the football. Uh, he is going to be out for uh, three to four weeks. <sighs> and then Mookie Cooper has a foot issue. Now this one is undetermined what the injury is kind of unclear of how long it could be. It could be 10 days. It could be 14 days. Apparently the injury happened on Saturday last Saturday. So if you're counting 10 days, uh, that would get him to next Tuesday. He could possibly see the field. If we're talking about 14 days and we're not talking until about Friday. And if it's anything past that, you're asking yourself, okay, is he going to be ready for central Michigan? So, BK sucks. Injuries suck, especially when it's your most, <laughs> most athletic, uh, most attention grabbing acquisition of the off season. Someone we've talked about, God, I think every episode uh, for the off season that sucks. Uh, but the good news is that it's not season ending. Yeah, so hey, at least we got is, that going for us. And I know Central Michigan is not like your typical Group of Five team. That they're, they're they're decent as long as you've got him by Kentucky. You should be okay. So September 11th, you basically have a month since the time that this injury took place for him to be able to heal up. With foot injuries, I never want to see this rushed. Like, do, do not rush to get him out there on the field, even though I'm sure he's going to yeah. want to be out there week one. It's his first time really being able to be a contributor at the college level. He's doing it at his home t- uh, home team, home state team, rather. He's going to want to be out there. 
don't you've got to protect the kid from himself if this is something that could get worse and foot injuries always worry me um so hopefully he's gonna be a-okay it's gonna be fine but at a minimum i I, i'm hopeful that he's gonna be out there by kentucky if he misses the central michigan game mizzou should be able to win that game whether he's out there or not certainly like to think so i i if i had to guess because i'm with you like guess you need to run with your feet Breaking news. You heard it here first. You need to run with your feet and receivers like to run. And especially Mookie Cooper, who is uh, reportedly uh, huh. term is um, fast. Um, need your feet to be fast. So not knowing what the injury is specifically or the timetable for return. I'm with you. My guess would be that he dresses for central Michigan. My hope is that they just beat the tar out of the Chippewas and he doesn't have to see the field, but he's kind of there in a, you know, okay, we feel comfortable with you doing this. Uh, but yeah, you need him for Kentucky because guess what? Even losing to Central Michigan, not good. But if you have any sort of uh, ideas of challenging for the division, challenging for the conference, just continuing to build positive momentum, Kentucky's going to be that game and that's week two. So there is a chance that he dresses for the first game, just doesn't see the field, and then he's ready to go for Kentucky. If that's the case, I'm fine with it. I'm going to trust our medical staff to get him back to where he needs to be and the timetable that he needs to take. Um, but it just sucks because we have been waiting all off season to see him take the field. And it might be, I mean, we've waited this long. What's another couple of weeks with God. You just, you wanted to see him do it. And uh, there's a chance that doesn't happen. So that just sucks. Final question that I've got for you before we get out of here, Nate, uh, Mizzou is finishing up camp right now. Uh, they've got, I think it's as of we're, as we are recording this, I think it's like four days remaining in camp now. Um, are there any camp battles position wise um, that you are interested in seeing how they shake out before the first game of the year? Some of these will bleed into the first game, of course, because even if one guy starts and the other guy plays better, maybe that other player gets the start against Kentucky and they switch it up. But are there any spots on the roster right now that you've found particularly intriguing given some of the reports coming out of camp or anything like that in terms of the roster battles that we're looking at right now? I can't stop looking at my offensive line depth chart. Mm -hmm. Like I am so intrigued. Uh, Who, who are our best five, (laughs) right? Like, you know, Hiram white. Oh, I forget it where I was reading this. I apologize to whoever did write it. Uh, you did good work. Um, but some, someone was saying that Hiram white was not a left tackle. Like Marcus Johnson was like, no, Hiram white cannot play left. So if, if he's got to play right, but Connor Wood is better than him, who was also in the battle for right tackle, like, okay, mm-hmm. how does that shake out? Um, Zeke Powell versus Javon Foster. Apparently all the players are saying Javon Foster has just been a monster uh, over these past couple of weeks. But Zeke Powell's got a ton of experience, and he, he was a safe choice. He was he was pretty good at pass, uh, pass protection, pretty good at run. Um, but Javon You didn't Foster, notice him a lot, which is all you can ask for. Exactly. But like Javon Foster, man, like he's he's been around for a while. He's a big dude. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the SEC. He's got two starts last year. Like he I had just the pedigree as a pretty decent recruit. I mean, he was a two star on Michigan, but like the the upside was always there. And God, if you look he at a, he was a two star man. I, yeah, for some reason I remember him as being a, a higher profile recruit than that. Hyron White was a five point seven three star, I think, according to rivals. So that might be mm-hmm. what you think. I I'll admit I mix those two up occasionally, but. You you mentioned it to me, and I've been watching those videos a lot closer. Uh, Javon Foster looks like an SEC lineman, right? He is just a gigantic dude, and he's not even the biggest dude on the team, but he is just just a chiseled god, right? Like it's it's incredible. So I I don't know who's going to start in the tackles again. Passing game is the most important. Tackles protect your quarterback. Who gets the tackle spots? I don't know. It could be a rotation, but it sounds like Xavier Delgado's got left guard locked down. Case Cook's going to be your right guard. Mike Maetti, Jersey Mike's going to be the center again. Like, okay, cool. But like, who's behind them? Where's EJ and Doma Ogar? Does Connor Wood get to get the start? What about uh, Mitchell Waters? What about Bobby Lawrence? Like I, Luke Griffin, your boy, Luke Griffin, hmm. where does he go? Like, I just, I am so curious as to how this offensive line is going to shake out. Uh, what, what are you, what are you looking at? 
It's the same thing. Uh, it's the offensive line. I, I am curious. I think the real battle here are at the tackle positions. I'm with you. I do not think there's a, a real battle. I'm, I'm surprised by it, frankly, but I'm not. I don't think there's a real battle on the interior. It's Case Cook, Michael Maeda and Xavier Delgado. I thought Luke Griffin would push for that starting spot at left guard. Same. Does not appear that that is going to be the case. I mm-hmm. wonder if that changes by midseason, especially if there's any sort of injuries. I I have to imagine he's going to be the first man off the bench. Mm-hmm. If Mayetti went down, I think Cook slides in to center and Griffin goes in at right guard. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the way it goes. Griffin, if there's any interior issues, he will be the next man up. Out on at tackle, I have no feel for the way this is going to go. My guess would be they'll kind of go with the established guys as the starters in week one. So Zeke Powell and Hyron White would be my guess. They will start in week one. Mm -hmm. But given the opponent, I think you will see a little bit of a rotation with Foster and Wood both coming in. Maybe it's in the second quarter. Maybe it's the third series, something like that. And it's scripted. I think you will see those guys both play. And if they outperform what you see from Powell and and White, I will not be surprised if those other players would in Foster or maybe even one of the two ends up starting the following week. So that is, for my money, the spot that you've got to look at as the most intriguing. The other place that I would look at is corner. Been very surprised to see reports coming out of camp that Evans and Green are not like clearly far and away the starters on the outside right now. Mm hmm. I don't know why that is the case. Maybe they're making them quote unquote earn it. Whatever the reason, by week two, they're going to be starting for you. <laughs> so whether they start week one or not, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But that's that's one spot. And then safety is the other. Who's going to be the starting safety other than Martez Manuel? It sounds like um, Carlisle is the guy that's got mm-hmm. kind of the the inside track there. We haven't really seen much of him, so I'm super intrigued to see what that looks like. That would be the only other spot that I would kind of be honing in on in week one. Yeah, 243 snaps last year over five games, but only six tackles. So, yeah, it's not – I don't have a very good grasp on, yeah, what he can do either. Um, Sorry, did you – just going back to the offensive line, did you see Connor Wood is taking snaps at guard too? Did you see that? Yeah. Interesting. So I, I, I know he's like cross that, training. But... I don't. I don't know if that means like, do they not trust uh, EJ and Doma Ogar or Drake Heisman? Like, I I don't know if it's just like, oh well, just for depth, you know, you can do it. I mean, he's not like a super tall guy. I think he's six yeah. four, um, so he could play the interior. But yeah, I, I mean, know. all of them are monsters. The entire offensive line, the way that they've <laughs> recruited at the position, yeah, all of them are going to be six four to six five within the next two years. So, it, yeah. yeah, he can play interior, he can play outside, he can play anywhere. I think he's going to play. I think Connor Wood, yeah. you're going to see him eventually yeah. this year. He's he's just too too high profile of a recruit to be somebody that sits the bench all season long. I think he'll be yeah. out there. It's just a matter of where and when and how often. Oh, oh, oh. I can end us on a, on a positive note. God, I almost forgot about this. We got a walk on who's a scholarship player now. Did you see oh, yeah. this? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Taylor. Um, I think he's like a third or fourth year player, uh, but he's an offensive lineman out of Georgia. And uh, the Missouri football Twitter account just dropped it today. I guess in the middle of a meeting, uh, Drinkwitz told uh, Rich, Rich, Richard, Rick, um, that he was on scholarship now, which is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, from a, from a scholarship management standpoint, that puts you at 13 scholarship offensive linemen. That puts you at 75 scholarships overall. But apparently Mr. Taylor has been doing good enough work uh, to earn a scholarship. And it's always great when a walk-on uh, can get that opportunity. So uh, bravo, man. That's awesome. Also credit to him. I saw his dad tweeted earlier this year. Uh, his son got a degree in three years with a 3.6 GPA in statistics while playing Damn. SEC football. So... Uh, Taylor already has his degree. He's technically a junior in terms of his uh, his eligibility at Mizzou as a student. It's three years, but he has a 3.6 GPA and he's already graduated with a stats degree. So given his eligibility football wise, that dude's going to end up with a Ph.D. in stats by the time he leaves (laughs) and he'll get it paid for by the football team now. Uh, So kudos to him because grad school is expensive and the the university or the the football program paying for that. God bless you, man. Good for him. Man, total, total side note. You can tell me to shut up. That's fine. How old is the youngest person who 
unironically goes by the name Dick. Or 58? <laughs> like, you don't, you don't see a lot of... Uh, this sounds weird saying that out loud. You don't see a lot of dicks running around. Um, and like, Richard Taylor, I feel like Dick Taylor, that is a 1940s in. I was about to say, 19, 1958. That guy is for sure running around there, roaming around as a safety. Like He, he played end, right? When you had to go both ways, where you were a defensive end and a tackle and a tight end. Like, Dick Taylor. Yeah. Probably played for the Bears or something like that. Anyway. Sounds like a brown to me. But a yeah. Brown. <laughs> something one of those Midwestern Rust Belt, you for know, sure. older. Maybe a Steeler. I could see him being a, a Ooh, safety for yeah. a, for the Steelers Dick back Taylor. in the day. Yeah. Richard Taylor, you're a scholarship player now. Go by Dick. Make make people say it out loud. It's okay. <sighs> any okay, so that was an aside that didn't need to be said, but I said it anyway. BK, any parting shots from you, sir? That's it, man. Hopefully Luther Burden joins up with the uh, 2022 Mizzou <laughs> class as soon as possible. I'm not expecting that, but I do think if I had to make a prediction today, I think you will see Luther Burden in a Tigers uniform in 2022. And man, if you're a Mizzou fan, there's always been a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. The faith has been few and far between at times, but there's always been a little bit of hope. And it is finally, it appears, being actualized. So Good for Mizzou, good for Eli Drinkwitz, an impressive potential recruiting get once again. Uh, it's it's just, he keeps it rolling, man. So mm-hmm. looking forward to this season and looking forward to the day that he, uh, late Luther Burden officially announces that he's going to be a Tiger. Win your games, please, God. Win games, yep. keep him interested. Uh, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can, you can leave a comment. You can give us a rating. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. You can follow the Rockham flagship at Rockham Nation. You can listen to BK on the radio on 101 ESPN in St. Louis from 10 to 3. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. Of course, we'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.